your way, God, as we look to you now, continue to worship you. It's in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, Amen. You can have a seat. It's good to be here together this morning. Um, we are at the end of our series through Facing Fear with Faith. And so if you haven't had a chance to to listen to the series, we posted all the messages online. And what we've been doing each week is having a live testimony from somebody who has faced and walked through a challenge. And, and we've had people up here in vulnerability share their struggles, share their challenges. And God's really used it, I think, to just uh, really help us create a, an atmosphere of vulnerability. Like this is a place where it's okay just to be real. And you can just be who you are and talk about real things in life and not have to put on some pretend face or pretend as if you have it all together because none of us do, right? Um, and as we wrap up the series, we're going to start by hearing testimony from Andy and Kelly Warner. So you guys can come on up here. Let's give them a golf clap. Come on. So Andy and Kelly are uh, regroup leaders. Andy's also the deacon over our finances. He leads the financial advisory committee of our church. And uh, they've just had kind of a crazy year. It's been, uh, it's been kind of a wild year and a half or so. And so we're going to hear their story as we look this morning at the fear of pain and suffering. And we're going to hear from them uh, what that has looked like this, this past season of life. And so um, that is my first question, is what has happened that has uh, maybe surfaced this fear of pain over the past while here? Well, we had quite the journey that started um, last well, over a year ago, actually, when Jack was about three or four months old, um, I had, through a series of events, found that I had been diagnosed with salivary gland cancer. And um, for both of us, um, pretty healthy people haven't really been through much in our lives as far as health challenges, and both faced some pretty serious health challenges. And so for mine being cancer, it was a, a period of um, about a month where we weren't sure how serious this was or what the prognosis would look like. Um, they had is a really rare form of cancer, and they had to send the pathology to an outside group of pathologists to look at. And they said it's either high-grade, high which means survival rates are within a few years, or um, a very good, if it's a low-grade tumor, very good outcome and good survival rates um, with low, low recurrence. And so... We were looking at one of two circumstances, both were the, each extreme end. And um, so there was about a month of not knowing and a lot of um, fear, at, 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 to say the least, and nights laying awake and holding my three-month-old and rocking him to sleep and crying over him and wondering if, um, if I would see him go to kindergarten or if he would remember his mom. And if Andy would be showing him videos of who I was and whether he would ever know me. Um, and so it was, it was a trying time and ultimately a time where we eventually learned it was the low-grade version, praise God. And I just had surgery. There was no chemo or radiation, which were all incredible blessings. But um, the fear behavior and fear um, in my life continued. It was only escalated by, I think, just this diagnosis that then Andy came across. And so the fear struggle didn't end at my good prognosis, I would say. Yeah, so it was, um, that was a challenge. 
And then uh, a few months after that, uh, so that was that probably went happened in August, and then uh, around Thanksgiving uh, last year, um, I just started feeling strange. Um, I would be sitting at work, and uh, I'd become short of breath, and would feel my heart flip-flopping in my chest. I'd wake up in the middle of the night. I couldn't breathe, and, um, you know, I, I didn't know what was going on. I'd wake Kelly up and say, you know, having a heart attack, what's going on? So uh, I was working out one day, and I um, had really strong palpitations, and I almost passed out, and I said, okay, I'm usually hesitant to go to the doctor, but I said, I, I got to go. Um, so I went to the doctor. They ordered a bunch of tests. They had me do a, a treadmill test, which repeated that same uh, heart uh, arrhythmia, and said, well, you really need to go see a cardiologist. Um, turned out in seeing the cardiologist, um, you know, he said, he actually got me in a lot faster than I thought he would. And, and he said, I, I'm really sorry, I've got bad news. Um, he said, at best, you have a blockage um, that's going to require stinting um, in surgery. And, and there are some worse conditions that are um, uh, not, the, not the greatest. So, uh, he said, he put me in the hospital that day. He said, I can't let you walk out of here. Um, and uh, I went through a battery of tests uh, and found out at the end of about a 48-hour period that I had a condition called uh, CPVT for short. It's a bunch of medical jargon, which no one understands. But essentially, um, my heart rate, if it gets elevated, um, it could, uh, could kill me. Um, it could lead to sudden cardiac arrest. Um, and thankfully, that's what had happened on the treadmill that day, and it didn't uh, happen that day, or I would have been found by my wife uh, in a heap. Um, n- needless to say, uh, at those few days that I went through, and even after that, there was a period of fear, just not knowing, um, you know, what would lo- what life would look like. Treatment was uh, heavy medication to sub- subdue my heart rate, so you know, I didn't know what life would look like. I wasn't sure if I would be able to. Um, participate in any kind of physical activity because that's part of the treatment is limiting that. Um, so I really struggled with kind of what's life going to look like and am I even going to be around? I mean, it, there's a risk that, you know, I, I could just have a, a heart attack. It, it's not really a heart attack, but my heart could stop at any point. So um, just a lot to, to process with a young child and, um, you know, a young family of, you know, how am I going to be around and what's this going to look like? need that. I did yeah. that in the first service. That's psyching you out, man. That's psyching you out. Um, Kelly, how did you wrestle with God's goodness in the midst of all this, both your own and then into Andy's as well? You know, I think I um, initially, just with the depth of fear I was experiencing, I questioned God's care for me and us, his love, and ultimately his motives. I think I... Um, which you've touched on in this sermon series, it's been so impactful just because I so much was tying what was happening to, was this related to past sin in my life and um, shame that I had dealt with rose up and and I think Satan just wanted to use this to make me feel like this was punishment or this was me getting what I deserved and, um, and just God had to give me truth to battle um, the, his promises and the truth of who he was and how he was going to use this rather than um, me fearing that this was somehow punishment and and thinking that having a child and a family and being a mom was just too good to be true and something I wasn't deserving of. And so there was a lot to all of that fear. And I also, I was just something mentioned before, just a lot of fear behavior that I was 
um, that I was practicing, you know, obsessively checking Jack in the middle of the night or wondering about Andy and if he was breathing or had his heart stopped or just all this OCD type behavior to try and control what might happen or what could happen. Um, and just, you know, even telling Andy things in a context of if I wasn't here, um, even after learning of a good prognosis, I was constantly thinking, well, if I'm not here in a few years, like, is Andy going to feed Jack his vegetables? Is he going to put socks on with his shoes and put a coat on when it's cold out? And like, just not trusting that if I wasn't here, that things could be controlled and Jack would be protected and just all these behaviors to ensure that if I wasn't here, somehow I could control how things might go. So it's very real. Um, and lastly for Andy is, is how have you and how have you watched your wife uh, experience and, and just battle through uh, really trying to rest and entrust in God's goodness? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think um, one of the things that really has stood out to me in the midst of it is that um, God is just, he's faithful. Um, he's faithful to be, to be present. Um, and he's faithful to be present with you in your time of, um, trial or suffering, um, and it, and it manifests in different ways. Um, I know for me, um, you know, there were times in the hospital where I was sitting there not knowing and being fearful of what my life would look like. And, you know, I, I kind of was reminded, uh, of God's faithfulness through my life. And, and as I had gone through trials in the past, God was faithful to show up and he kind of reminded me that, um, no matter what life looks like, I can't, you know, I, I didn't know at the moment, but he said, no matter what life looks like, I'm going to provide joy from you uh, or for you in myself. Um, and uh, I was able to rest in that. I know um, for Kelly, um, you know, you might want to share Psalm 57 and what it meant for you. Well, just, you know, Psalm 57 was huge for me during that time just because it, it is literally a plea to God to spare me. And while pleading that to the Lord, just taking refuge under his wing and just this thought of his shelter over us through the scariest of times. And that, um, as you're going to touch on today, how, how he does not leave us. And in the worship, never once have you left us on our own. I mean, he was there through the darkest moments and giving a peace we couldn't describe and using it for his glory. And as, as it says in Psalm 27, using it for your purpose in my life and that he has a purpose through this. It might not have been what we chose, but he will use it for something beautiful. Awesome. Awesome. Will you guys join me in praying for them? God, we want to praise you that we get to stand here today with the Warners. Um, the story may have not unfolded if that wouldn't have been your plan. And yet, um, God, you showed yourself to them and you have uh, numbered their days. There, There is not one that... Um, they will miss that is by your plan. And so thank you for the comfort you have brought to them. Thank you for the ways you've revealed yourself to them. And God, that is our prayer as your people, that we would know you more. Um, God, we, we have a, a future to look forward with you for all time. And we have the privilege to get to know you now. And, uh, and you've promised to walk us through all things that we face in this life. So thank you for the Warners. I just pray you continue to keep their minds and hearts fixed on you. Thank you for the testimony um, that they have been as they've walked through this by faith. And we just thank you for this dear family. In Jesus' good name, amen. Thanks, guys. 
All right, well, if you've been with us, we are uh, camping in Psalm 145. So if you have your Bibles, you can open there. It's been kind of the primary text we've been dissecting as we've looked at facing fear with faith. We've been looking at all the different ways this psalm tells us the character of God uh, really speaks to and, um, and, and helps us walk through every fear that we face in this life. And so we're going to look at verses 7 and verse 9 to start off. If you have your Bibles, again, you can open them or we'll have it on the overhead here. But Psalm 145, verse 7. They, referring to your people, God's people, shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Verse 9. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. If you have your notes, the, the main um, title there, the main idea is this, is God is good, and so we don't have to fear temporary pain and suffering. Because God is good, we don't have to fear. And I don't know if you caught it, but that word temporary is, is momentary, right? It's, it will only last for as long as we live, and it will come to an end. I wonder if you've ever sat back and thought about this reality that everything good you've ever experienced in life, from from breath itself to relationships to the capacity to love, your, your mental and physical abilities, everything you have is a gift from God and evidence of His goodness. It's good for us just to pause and recognize that, probably every day. Every day is a gift of God's goodness. Every breath is sustained by His power. But every every single person in this room has been tempted at some point or another to question if God is good. And so I wonder, what has made you ask that question? What has made you doubt God's goodness? Maybe it was a loss of a job. Maybe it was the diagnosis of cancer or a disease. Maybe it was the untimely death of a loved one. Maybe it was physical or, or, or verbal abuse from those who should be loving you. Maybe you've had a kid go off the deep end. Maybe you've had dreams not unfold the way that you thought they would. Maybe you have godly desires that have been left unsatisfied. What causes you to question God's goodness. I think the circumstances of our lives and and these painful moments of reality lead us to distrust God because all we can do in those moments is feel the pain. And in our emotional experience, we forget about all of the ways God is still good in the midst of it. And here are some of the lies that I think we are tempted to believe in the midst of our pain. And the first one is this, is there's nothing good that can come from suffering. I think we as humans have a hard time saying, well, what in the world could good come from this? I think we can believe the lie that God is not just or justified in allowing the kind of suffering we see in this world. You say, God, this isn't fair. And lastly, I think we can believe the lie that Jesus is not sufficient to deal with our pain. 
These are all temptations. These are all thoughts, I think, that we all have in the midst of the hard realities of life. And we've been looking at bits and pieces of Genesis chapter 3 through this series. And last week we saw how uh, our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. They distrusted Him. They disobeyed the one command He gave them in the midst of the paradise that was theirs for the taking. And he had warned them of these consequences and they disobeyed, but we saw how God showed his incredible mercy and that he didn't just wipe out humanity that day. And we also saw his incredible grace in that God himself made the first sacrifice and clothed Adam and Eve with the skins of an animal. The first death that ever took place in all creation was to cover the shame of Adam and and Eve. God was incredibly merciful and gracious even when we had disobeyed. But there were still consequences. Things changed that day. The world is broken in the way it is as we experience it today because of that day. And God instilled a curse over this planet that we are all living under. And he started by cursing the serpent, the one who tempted Eve to doubt God. Genesis three fourteen and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, so there's something significant in this curse on the serpent. And it's this, is that there would be a descendant of mankind who would come. And there would be enmity, there would be strife, there would be conflict between the serpent, between the devil, and the one who would come into the world. There would be conflict. There would be a battle. And we learn from this that the serpent who's now cursed to slither on the ground would only be able to strike at the heel. But it says this descendant would crush the head and deal the death blow to the one who is behind all the chaos that we see. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. Then we get into the curse that was put over the man and the woman. And see if you notice the word pain a few times in here. Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Okay, so the first thing that God did before the fall was said, Hey, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Fill this planet with children. It's going to be good. And then here we see, okay, you're going to still multiply and fill the earth, but now it's going to come through pain. It's going to be painful. Life is going to come through pain. God didn't take away his gift and our ability to reproduce, but it was drastically changed in that moment. And then we learned something else. It says, your desire shall be for your husband, but he will rule over you. This is why we have marital conflict. And if you married couples, say amen. Okay? It says that the woman will desire the male's position in the relationship. 
There will be a, a desire for the leadership role in the marriage. This is going to be the challenge. It's going to be a power struggle between husband and wife. Of who's in control here? And it's going to create all sorts of emotional pain and conflict. And then we see the curse pronounced on Adam in verse 17. It says to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree that I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So here we see a few significant things which we still experience today. One is that the ground is cursed, meaning work is going to be hard. And I don't care what field of work you are in, you face challenges every single day. That's a result of the curse. And this one specifically for Adam and Eve is that, hey, it's going to be hard even for the ground to produce the food you need to survive. You're going to sweat. It's going to be hard labor just to to get bread. But then we learned that Adam and Eve would also return to the dust from which they were made. Do you guys know that human beings became mortal that day? This was when we became mortal. This is when humanity would finally face a reality of death at the end of their life. And pain and suffering would now be a part of this world that is just simply inescapable. So here from the curse, we see both physical and emotional ramifications that are painful. And all of us are experiencing the curse of this world. And it's something we can't get away from, no matter how hard we would desire to do so. But here's what's funny is, how many of us still think we can avoid the pain? How many of us still try as hard as we possibly can to escape the reality of a painful life? We all do it. I want to give you a few of my strategies, perhaps, in dealing with pain and suffering. The first one in your notes there is we find ways to minimize it or to avoid it. Minimize or avoid pain. So last week, Jason... Uh, and I were down at the building with Dean uh, as, as we're remodeling a building just a few blocks from here. Hopefully we get in by the end of the year, beginning of the year. And the roof had been had a bunch of work done, and, and Jason wanted to go up onto the roof to, to see what had been done. And I didn't want to go onto the roof. I had been on the roof before. And uh, that transition between the ladder and the edge of the building, that's a scary, scary place to be. Um, if you want to experience that, Jason will take you down there and you can do it. Um, but I just visualized myself at the top of the ladder, like going to step off and, you know, you shift your weight and ladder's gone, head cracked against the ground 18 feet below and nothing good comes from that. So I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to avoid this? How am I going to avoid the possibility of me falling off this ladder and experiencing this pain? And then I was like, gosh, like, Jason and Dean are just going to call me a sissy and they're going to make fun of me. And so that pain would probably be worse than the pain of falling. And so I went on the roof. Although I did ask Jason to hold the ladder for me. 
All right, so that's physical pain, right? And I know what it is to get hurt. I know what it is to get hit by something or to fall and, and, and get a bruise or a bump. But there's other ways we can minimize or avoid pain, such as maybe, maybe you moms or dads experience this, being overbearing or overprotective with your kids. It's like, I, the last thing I want is my kids to be hurt, so I got to hold their hand down the street until they're 18 just because they might trip over the crack and scrape their knee, Right? Some parents are like guilty, right? So that's one thing we do. We can overprotect our kids or we can become consumed with protecting ourselves, right? This is where like we go out and insure our insurance. It's like, oh, I need, I need an umbrella policy over my insurance policy, like double protected just in case. Or maybe, man, I need to stockpile like five years of food because when World War III hits, there ain't going to be any food. And we're going to have to survive. Okay, we do all sorts of stuff to try to minimize or avoid pain and project things into the future that haven't even happened yet. But we can also try to avoid emotional pain through a couple different avenues. One could be distancing yourselves relationally or distancing ourselves relationally from other people. We just don't want people to get too close because if they get too close, they have the ability to hurt us, right? Like, if I just can keep you at arm's length then, you know, if you don't like me, it doesn't really matter because I never really liked you anyway. We can also suppress our emotions. We can also pretend like, oh, this doesn't really hurt. Oh, that, that's, this really isn't a big deal. I don't really care that much about uh, these things that have happened to people that I love. And if I just can shut my emotions down, then I'll be safe from experiencing deep hurt. We have all sorts of ways that we try to minimize and avoid pain and suffering. And then we have ways that we try to relieve or conceal it. I remember back when I was in high school, uh, my best friend took his own life. And it was out of nowhere that this happened. And it's one of those things that you just... You know, the world stops and you're in absolute shock. You just don't even have a compartment to process what has just happened. And my response was, I, I don't want to feel this. I want to drown this out. And so I went out that night and just got absolutely hammered, which was the worst thing you could have done. And it took my pain and my grief to a whole different level where I did things and I said things. That I regret. I caused more pain from that pain. But you know what I've realized is that I think for most people, drugs, alcohol, prescription meds, all this stuff, all it is, is trying to escape and numb the pain. And oftentimes we don't see it that way. Behind addictions, there is a deep wound. That people are trying not to feel. They just can't handle the pain. And so they have to distract. They have to find some form of relief. And that's where the world goes. But in the church we do it too guys. Ours is just a little more subtle. It's not as obvious. It's like oh hey let's just get consumed with entertainment. Let's just throw our lives into sports. 
Or let's just have closet sin that, you know, is really not a big deal. And yet it has devastating ramifications on our marriages, on our families, and in our spiritual lives with God. If we can just figure out how to keep our minds busy, to occupy ourselves with things that aren't bad things, but they just distract us from reality because we're trying to avoid the painful reality of this life. Lastly, I believe we can often try to conceal the pain. We conceal it by pretending that it doesn't exist. Just pretending like, oh no, I got thick skin, nothing can hurt me. You know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Not true. So we try to hide, we try to pretend, we try to put on a tough face. Oh, oh this, this I, I, you can't hurt me. Nobody can hurt me. I can handle this. I can handle life. And really what this is, this is a form of pride that trusts in ourselves. It's a form of pride that just says, hey, I, I, can, I have what it takes. And yet inside, you are broken to pieces. Everyone in this world will face pain and suffering, so the fear is legitimate. (laughs) Okay, let's just say that. We fear something because it's actually going to happen. You can't avoid it. But the difference is going to be your perspective and your response in the midst of the pain. That is what is going to make a difference. You see, God came up with a strategy, even from day one, of dealing with our pain, and one that provides for us real answers, and answers that are filled with eternal hope. See, no one can go before God and say, God, you don't understand my pain. No one can say that to God. Not a person. We may try to go around to one another and say, well, you haven't been through what I've been through, so you can't understand. We might try to play that game with one another and like compare our pain, like who's gone through more suffering than somebody else, you know, and, and, but we can't play that game with God. Do you remember the prophecy back in Genesis 3, the descendant of Eve would come and crush the head of the serpent? That descendant's name was Jesus Christ, the only son of God, who willfully came into this world and he came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, but he did so through subjecting himself to every form of hardship a human being can go through. The only difference is Jesus didn't deserve it. There was nothing Jesus did to deserve the pain he endured, but he came. Out of love for his creation, he came and through his pain accomplished an eternal purpose that is our hope. Through his pain came life. You see, all of us have lived in rebellion against God. God's standard is perfection. And not a person can stand before God and say, I made the cut. Not one person The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
But Jesus came to deal the death blow to sin. Jesus came to suffer and to bear the penalty of our sin on a cross so that the condemnation that we deserve fell upon him so we no longer have a thing to fear but a hopeful future with our God and our maker. See, Jesus understands our pain. The night he was betrayed, we have the account in Luke chapter 22. This, you could argue, was the most intense uh, night of Jesus' earthly life. And it says this, He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is intense. Have you ever been so fearful and so afraid at something that coming that you are on your face, just drenched in sweat? You are so in agony. Jesus knew the betrayal and the beating he was about to endure. Do you think he was afraid? Yeah. Jesus experienced full well the fear that you and I experience. And if the physical pain wasn't enough for Christ, knowing that he would be beaten and whipped, that thorns would be pushed into his skull, that he would be nailed to a piece of wood and hang there for hours until he suffocated to death. If that wasn't enough, he knew that his 12 closest friends were going to abandon him. And he knew that it was one of them that turned his back on him to rat him out. So that they knew where to go to arrest him. He was deserted by his closest friends. And in his prayer to God, he asks, God, please take this cup away. Please, God, if there is another way, let it be. But there wasn't. It was the way God had chosen to deal with our rebellion. You know, it's, it's human nature to ask for pain to be taken away. We see that in Christ's prayer. But what we need to realize is that God's purposes are bigger than our pain. His purposes are bigger than our pain. And not long after this intense prayer, Jesus would go. And he would accomplish our salvation. He would experience hell on earth so that we could have eternal life. If you have your notes, the point there, very first point, is that his pain is now our gain. Everything he went through was for a purpose. His suffering was in our place so that we could be forgiven. This is good news for us today, friends. That through someone else's pain, we receive life. 
And it's only through faith in the life, death, and resurrection that anyone can be made right with God. And here's the thing, is that when Jesus died, the serpent thought he won that day. That was the serpent striking the heel. But three days later, when Jesus rose from the grave and declared the power of death had been destroyed, he crushed the head of Satan, rendering him powerless. He no longer can stand accusing you before God because Jesus Christ died in your place. That's a big deal. That's good news for God's children this morning. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this, So we do not lose heart. Though outwardly our outer selves is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you know the guy who wrote this, a guy named Paul, had been beaten and shipwrecked and ridiculed all for the sake of Christ? And he's the one writing these light and momentary afflictions. He's the one that's been imprisoned for Christ. Gone days without food. And he's saying, guys, this suffering in this life? Oh, compared to what is to come? It's nothing. It's nothing. And that is why he can say, we do not lose heart. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how dark it might seem, don't lose heart. Your pain and your struggles and your brokenness is not the end of the story. Praise God. This is hope, friends. This is hope. But we still live in the here and now and we still go through pain. And so what has God done for that? We have this future, but what what has he done for right now? Point number two. So his presence is our peace. His presence is our peace. John 14, 26 through 27 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. The world can't give you peace like God can. And then Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Isn't that interesting that if we are in Christ, we don't have to allow our hearts to be troubled or afraid. We have the option. Like, because of who I am, because of what I've done, because of what I told you, you don't have to be afraid. Fear is now a conscious choice if you are in Christ. And I believe one of the greatest places we see God's goodness on display is that not only did he send his son to accomplish our salvation, but he sent his spirit to be an ever-present help in good times and in bad times. 
Do you guys know God's not more present in the good times and less present in the bad times? If you've lived long enough and gone through some ups and downs, I think many people would stand up and actually testify that God has never been so close to them when they were, as when they were in the darkest valley. Isn't that interesting? And the pain is when we actually feel his presence more. Huh. Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Why do we not fear? Because God is with us. And he will never leave us or forsake us. This world and our experience in this world is the valley of the shadow of death. So why do we keep trying to find life here? You ever ask yourself that? It's like, this is the hell of the believer. Okay? This is as bad as it's going to get for you. And God has told us over and over and over and over again, like, hey, life and joy is found in me and eternity with me. Why do you keep looking for it here? It doesn't make any sense. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of death of this life, his presence is our peace. And lastly, his promises will prevail. The promises of God are not just some little, you know, motivational slogan to be thrown up on your office wall to keep you going through the day. The promises of God are unchanging and eternally true. And this is what God promised in Romans 8, 28. He says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now check this. The verse doesn't say all things are good. It says God will work all things for the good. Which means you're going to go through some bad. Which means the bad is not purposeless. It means that in the end we will understand, even if we don't now, how God wove this crazy life of light and darkness into a beautiful picture of his redemptive power to put on display for us to see and to marvel at. This is where faith comes in. Right? This is where in the midst of the highs and lows, we have to continue to cling by faith and to trust in God's goodness. We might not understand the pain we go through. In fact, I'll I'll bet that you just won't. You don't always get to see why things happen the way they do. But one day, one day it will make sense. And we need to continue to trust in God's goodness in the process and to trust that our pain is not meaningless. Not only is our pain not meaningless, it will one day come to an end. One day it will all be over. Revelation 21 puts it this way. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. This is not wishful thinking. 
This is eternal truth. And what is in store for everyone who has entrusted their soul to Jesus Christ and believe the good news of his gospel. No more pain. All things new. Those are promises from the risen King Jesus seated on his throne. The one with all power, the one with all authority has declared it. And his promises will prevail. I don't know about you, but as as I've been meditating on Psalm 145, it has declared these great things about God, his greatness, his glory, his grace, like all these things about who God is. But did you notice all the things in the ways that the psalmist responded to those things that are true? If you've been looking at this, uh, here's some key words of, of what's going on in the psalmist's mind and heart. He's saying, I will extol you, God. I will bless you, God. I will praise you, God. I will commend your works. I shall declare your goodness. I'll meditate. I will speak. I will declare. I will give thanks. I will speak. I will tell. I will make known. I will speak. I will bless. On and on and on. When we see God rightly, this is what we do. We can't keep it inside. We're amazed. We're overwhelmed. It comes out. When we see these things about God, we are drawn to worship him and we are drawn to follow him. We are drawn to declare that he is the only king worthy of our utmost devotion. That's the response. That we go and declare his goodness to those who only know darkness. Well, C.S. Lewis, in his famous children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he tells this story, this adventure of four children who go into the magical land of Narnia. Many of you might be familiar with that. But they go in, and it's just this fun kind of adventure story, but it's also an allegory of Christ and salvation. And Christ in this story is represented as the lion Aslan. And when they're in Narnia, and these children haven't met Aslan yet, they met uh, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, And they're filling them in on who Aslan is. Who is the king of the land? And this is what they say. Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he'd be a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He is the king, I tell you. Following King Jesus in this life is not safe. It has never been safe. And yet, he is good. And nothing changes his goodness. And he is the only hope we have of eternal life to come. And so as we wrap up this series on facing fear with faith, my question to you is, do you want to live a safe life or a significant life? What do you want? And then you realize in the question that there is no such thing as a safe life because we're all going to go through it. And we're all going to experience pain. So do you want to live your life striving to create imaginary safety? 
Or do you want to live in reality and walk through the real ups and downs of this life with significance in that you are called by your king to live for his kingdom and to tell others of his goodness? It's my heart and prayer for us as a church that we would seek the latter. That we would say, no, I'm going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm going to fear no evil because God is with me and God has called me to declare his goodness regardless of my circumstances. That's what genuine hope does. It allows us to face our fears with purpose and with the future. Let's pray.